tell you that I am um, thrilled with what God is doing. You know that God, I, I, you, how many of you have seen Bill Johnson? You know how he always says God's in a good mood? He's right. And, and I have a son who is uh, 13. He just turned 13 this week while we were in Florida. And he loves Duck Dynasty. Have you ever seen Duck Dynasty? Right? Every episode, every day, we would watch Duck Dynasty. He would come in to take a break from the sun or whatever, and Duck Dynasty would be playing over and over. And by the end of the week, I was talking like this, because Duck Dynasty was always playing in the background. And I, I have a, a, a motto in life, and, and I've always kind of had this, and it's been very encouraging for me, and I, I want to share it with you because I hope it's encouraging to you. Um, my motive in life is to have fun. Really. And some of us need to slap ourselves around a little and say, quit being so serious. Come on. And um, when I used to work, uh, we had, I made these bumper stickers for uh, the company that I started, and it was called The Future of Fun. I used to make Happy Meals. You can blame me for all of the pieces of plastic under your car seats. <clears throat> but anyway, the little toys. So uh, it was called The Future of Fun because I was like, I am going to create fun that's in the future, and then it's going to come into today. Does that sound like fun? So I used to make toys, and I used to have a lot of fun, and we used to play all the time, and our job was to imagine and let our imaginations go as far as we could to develop toys so children could have fun playing. And they just had to have a four-minute play value. Amen? So we're on vacation, and I'm remembering all of this. And, and how, and I'm watching Duck Dynasty, and I love these people on Duck Dynasty. They are the salt of the earth. And I love what Phil says, you know, happy, happy, happy. And I said, I am going to get t-shirts made that are from the Haas, and it's going to say the Haas on one side, and on the back it's going to say happy, happy, happy. And we're all just going to, that's going to be our motto. Those Haas people are so happy, and they're always smiling, and they're healing the sick, and casting out demons, and raising the dead, and they're going around going, ha, 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 ha. Isn't this glorious? Who said the gospel is born? It's not. It's the most exciting. I, I mean, you can go as far as your imagination can take you in God. How much fun is that, right? And my imagination can go pretty darn far. So, like, come on. And God's like, yeah, I think I've got, I'm put up to you on that. So I'm sitting on the beach. And I'm, and I'm, and I always, I'm, I move my chair into the water. I'm so excited about being part of God's creation that I actually want to be part of God's creation. So I take my chair, I pull it down, I sit it on the, the in the water, and, and my precious granddaughter, who's now like 18 months old, she sees the chair, and she'll go and pick it up, and she moves it back away from the water and, and wants to rearrange because she doesn't like the waves. So she moves it back. I move it forward. She moves it back. It was, it was a fun trick we played. But anyway, it was fun. Um, so I'm sitting there and the waves are coming in and the waves are going out. And the waves are coming in and the waves are going out. And I thought, 
This is so refreshing. And those waves do that all day long. Every day since the beginning of time. Since God said, okay, we're going to make land and we're going to make water. And I am going to speak a word and that word is going to tell those waves and that water how far to go. And it can come this far and no farther. Because we get a little caught up in our lives, don't we? And we get all worried about the call of God on our lives or our destinies or whatever. And, and when we begin to take our eyes off of God, we stop having fun. So we're not looking at all of the possibilities which, P.S., are going to be impossible, so you might as well get over that obstacle. The things that God called you to do, you can't do. P.S. But you got to have fun in the not being able to do it and enjoy the journey, right? But the minute that we take our eyes off of the burning one and we do this, okay, all of a sudden... I'm not happy, happy, happy anymore. <laughs> Why? Because I'm looking at myself and I'm thinking, this is impossible. And so I'm sitting there and I'm watching these waves. And they're going out and in and out and in. And I'm reminded of the faithfulness of God. Because his attributes are clearly seen in his creation, right? And so I'm watching the attribute of God in his faithfulness and how his word came forth and creation obeyed his word. And so I'm thinking about all of the promises that he has over my life, over my ministry, over my family. And I'm just amazed by his faithfulness. But when I'm doing this, I'm looking at everything God's not doing instead of everything that he is. And I get grumpy. I get in a bad mood. You know how hard it is to evangelize somebody when you are in a bad mood? They're like, I don't want the God you serve. Why would I want to do that? But people are drawn to people who shine and who are alive and who are, you can tell people that are alive because they actually draw you into themselves through their countenance that is bright and shiny and, and, it, and it says Jesus on it. And you're like, there's something about that person that I want to be around. They're so contagious with life. They're beaming. But when you're doing this and seeing how am I going to get to God and I'm so disappointed and the more that we look down, the more that we look at ourselves, we actually begin to consume ourselves. When Jesus said, when I return on the earth, did he say, what did he say, will I find? Faith. Will I find those who say, I believe 
believe that you are faithful that no matter what I do in my life you will complete the work that you've started in me and I'm reminded about the greats, the champions of the faith that he, that he talks about in, in um, Hebrews 11. In fact, let's go ahead and turn there. Hebrews 11. I love Hebrews. It's my favorite book. He says this in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. As this, now faith is the substance, but yet he's talking about the fathers of the faith. You see, faith is present tense. He didn't say, tell them I'm the God that was. He was, but he said, he said I am. Right? He is a present God and faith, the evidence of faith is now over your life. He is faithful over your life today because he is the I am God. Not the I was God. And he's bringing this out for us so that we can see that there are those that went before us who were faithful. Now did he say, will I find good structure and good programs when I return? Will I find those that are adept and at leadership skills and blah, 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 blah? No. There was one thing that he was looking for in each one of us. And he said, will you still be standing and believing in the word that I have spoken over your lives? For you and for your generation. Because the call of God on you is not just for you. But it is for your generation. Happy, happy, happy. He said to Moses, I was actually uh, thinking about Moses while I'm sitting there and I'm watching the waves go out and go in and go out and go in. And I'm thinking about Moses' leadership qualities and how he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. Right? And where does he go? Well, he takes them right to the edge of the Red Sea. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but I, I'm a little bit of a backseat driver. I mean, poor John, bless his heart, the only time the two of us ever scuffle at all is when he's driving. <laughs> I thank God for a husband whose primary gift is long-suffering because... <laughs> I will tell him. In fact, I'll point. How many of you tap on your window? Women, come on. You tap on your window. Like, no. If you take a right, tip, 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 tap, tap. And, my, and John's just like, love that woman you gave me. <laughs> so, yeah, Moses is uh, leading the children of Israel. And some of them had to be thinking to themselves, where are we going? understand why he decided to take this route but doesn't he understand that we're about to be trapped 
And so, of course, what do they do? They moan and they groan. And they begin to accuse him. Why, why, did you, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? The, the Egyptians are now coming to kill us, and we are now trapped because you're a bad leader. Right? And so each one of us continually look at ourselves and are constantly criticizing ourselves and evaluating ourselves. And God is saying, <laughs> I've brought you into this impossible situation because I'm faithful to finish what I started in you. Because the place that he's called you to stand and to believe is the place of his greatest breaking in. The place where he's going to make himself magnificent in front of everyone in your life. The things that God has called you to do are impossible for you. I love what my pastor used to tell me, Terry Moore at Sojourn Church. He used to say, God is more able to lead you than you are to follow him. And it's really been the guiding light in my life. We were talking um, on the way home. We were driving home, 12 hours, hallelujah. And we were talking about just having a value system in our life that, is, that really helps to lead us. Because if we haven't established who we are, in God, when the waters of transition and change begin to come, we won't be able to stand and continue to be who we've been called to be. So we have to know who we are and we have to determine what is that pillar, what is that place in me that will not be shaken. And the primary, every one of you, it's got to be different. But one of the primary things for me is that I believe in the one who said and gave the promise. I don't believe any other voices other than that one. That's why I have determined to live my life and no matter what it looks like, I don't have an investment in the end game. He does. All I have to do is believe, and therefore it will be. The disciples asked Jesus, because who are we? We're all worker bees. We all are looking at ourselves to accomplish the things that God has called us to do, right? So the disciples asked Jesus in John, they said, what are the works of God that we must work? Because what are they thinking to themselves? What do we have to do in order to get to you? What do we have to do in order to get to the calling on our lives? What do we have to do? So they're focused on themselves. If it's going to be, it's up to me, right? So, Jesus said this, this is all you have to do. You have to believe. You have to believe that no matter what it looks like, I am true and I am faithful. And the waves keep coming in and out and in and out. Forever. 
because the word came forth and he is and all of creation will obey the word of God and in your life that reality will never end ever And so the reality over my life and over this place and over this city is that Dallas shall be saved. That America shall be saved. That there is a great harvest that is going to spring forth out of this place and it's going to spread all over America. And God has called you for such a time as this to not only participate in it, but to actually create it. Yeah. Catherine from our Night Watch internship, is she here? No. She's probably sleeping. Praise the Lord. <laughs> um, she heard from the Lord and he told her to go out on Harry Hines. So she takes a girlfriend with her. They go out on Harry Hines and they see 54 salvations. Wow. Why? Because the harvest is ripe. We have enough information of who Jesus is. We have learned about what it is to be a house of prayer. And we have, through our exercise at a house of prayer, learned how to become a house of prayer. God is not into buildings, He's into people. He is very invested in seeing the end time harvest come. And that is only a whisper of what's about to hit us. But he's looking at us and he's saying, do you believe and are you ready to go? Do you believe and are you happy, happy, happy? (laughs) This is good news for us. We have now come to the pinnacle, to the time where God is raising up and equipping sons who know who they are and will go out and do great exploits because they said, I believe in the one that gave the promise. Reinhard Bonnke in his autobiography told a great story of um, the promise of God on his life. That the Lord told him that Africa shall be saved. And he did the math on that. He said there are 468 million, 87, 487 million Africans. And then he did the math on his ministry so far in a little town of Lesotho, Lesotho, Africa, and, um, and he said, okay, I would have to live on the rate that I'm going 47,000 years in order to see this harvest. And he didn't understand how this was going to happen. Now, we are the house of Zerubbabel. So our foundation was laid in Zechariah 4. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. And so Reinhardt decided that he would call up a great and powerful evangelist to come to his church. 
He had about 100 people in his church. And, um, and they were seeing a measure of salvations. But he was really um, saddened because he said, I wasn't seeing the power of God released. I wasn't seeing the signs and the miracles and the wonders and the healings. And so he called this evangelist to come in and he advertised and he, he told all of the villages. And, and so everybody knew that they could come and be healed by this great man of God. And so the great man of God got there. The place was packed out. The parking lot was full. People couldn't even get in. And um, so the man of God preached that Friday night. And he was kind of come back on, on Saturday night as well. And, and so the man of God preached on Friday night. And in Reinhardt's book, he said, you know, it's kind of so-so. Not a whole lot of power on it. But he was, he was excited because he was going to pray for people and they were going to be healed. And... Um, after he finished preaching, he turned to Reinhardt and he said, close the meeting. And Reinhardt said, but, but everybody has come to be healed. And if you close the meeting, then, you know, everybody's not going to get what they came for. They came for, you know, an impartation. They came for the power. And uh, the man said, close the meeting. And he said, well, okay, I will agree to close the meeting if you will come back tomorrow and pray for them tomorrow. And he said, the people will be prayed for tomorrow. And Reinhardt said to everybody, the man of God will pray for you tomorrow. Come back tomorrow. So the next night, he goes to pick up the man of God, the great evangelist, right? He's going to the hotel, and he sees the man has packed his suitcase and is loading his suitcases up into a car to leave. And Reinhardt had already driven by the church, and he saw that the church was already packed. And, and, and his heart sank, and he said, what are you doing? Where are you going? And the man of God said, the Holy Spirit told me that I was not to preach tonight, that I was to go home. And Reinhardt said, no, 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 that cannot be the Holy Spirit. Because everybody's waiting, and, we've, and, and, and I told everybody that you would be there. And the man of God said, I'm sorry, but I have to be obedient to the, to, to the voice of the Lord. You know, I have to go. So Reinhardt's heart just sank. Now he has to go back and face all of these people. And so as he goes back, he tells his leadership. And he, and, and, um, and he says to his leadership, <clears throat> I will pray and Jesus will heal the people. And his leadership said, Really? <laughs> and he just laughed and he said, yeah, the prophet doesn't get respect in his own house. So he gets up there and he tells the people, this is what happened. The man of God has left, but I will pray for you and Jesus will heal you. And he saw the Holy Spirit moved on him and he saw blind eyes opening. And he said, everyone stand up who's blind. All of the people stood up. And he said, in Jesus' name, I command every blind eye to be opened. Pop, 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 pop. And from the back, he saw mo uh, movement. And they saw a, a small child being brought to the front to, from hand to hand to hand to hand to hand. And finally, this child was placed in his hands. And he was holding this young child whose arms, every arm and every limb was twisted and turned. 
And he said, I didn't even pray. And his limbs began to strengthen and straighten. And he, the child jumped out of his arms and went running back to his mother. And he said, that day, my ship was launched. And he said, I realized that a continent, that a nation will only be saved. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. The salvation of this nation is upon us. And I am telling you that it is time for us to set our gaze on the one whose eyes are burning like a flame of fire. The reason that we have the school, the reason that we have internships is to train up disciples who will follow the cloud. We have one, we have one, I don't know what you call it. What do you call it? My brain just went blank. Bah. Happy, happy, happy. Happy, happy, happy. One thing, one desire, one vision. We have one thing in this house. You know, visions and mission statements and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Here's what we do. We follow the cloud. We follow the cloud. You follow the cloud. Because he is going to lead you. And the waves of your life, all that, all the promises... He is faithful. They're going to come in and go out. Come in and go out. And he'll never stop until every word that he has spoken is going to come to pass. It doesn't matter how good you are at what it is that he's called you to do because it's his goodness. It's his faithfulness. Follow the cloud. And you will stay happy, happy, happy. And all men will be drawn to the light and the countenance of Jesus Christ in you. Amen? Amen. All right, so here's what I want to do. I want Matthew to come up because I want him to give a testimony. He and John had an encounter on this trip. And it was, did you get batteries? Are you? There's no light. Okay, here. I want you to tell that testimony. <laughs> you and I are attached. Okay. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> So we're on the way to Florida, and we, we're arriving, and, um, and so, what, 12, 14-hour drive, whatever. It's dark. We're tired. We're tired. We're hungry. I got two 13-year-olds in the back that, you know, <laughs> are ready for a break. Um, and uh, a lot of old people, too, um, ready for a break. I include myself in that statement. <laughs> um, and so we're looking for pizza, and we're, we're about to, uh, Anne-Marie, she's on her phone. This girl, navigate, get you anywhere you need to go, anytime, <laughs> find any number for you. She finds a pizza place, and we're calling. We're putting in the order for the pizza so it can be nicely delivered as soon as we walk in to <laughs> to our condo and it's like 
really expensive, like un, just unbelievably expensive for the amount of pizza that we were going to order. And we're like, um, we changed our mind, you know, <laughs> we put in the whole order and everything. And so we're driving and John says in the car, he's like, boys, keep an eye out for a pizza place. Wouldn't it be just like the Lord for there to be a, a pizza place right by our condo? So we get there, we're checking in and it turns out there is a pizza place like attached to the condo that's above. like above. <laughs> you have to walk up some stairs. <laughs> and so we walk up there and I'm tired. I really don't feel like talking to many people or any, even like even the people I like, much less people I don't like um, or know, you know. <laughs> um, and so I'm sitting down and the waitress starts, or the cashier starts talking to John. I'm like checking my email or something, you know, um, unproductive. Uh, and she's, uh, she's, she's talking and she opens with the line to John, I don't know if you're religious or anything, but, um, uh, but my, my, my daughter is, is like the Antichrist. <laughs> it's like her opening greeting line. And I'm like looking up. I'm like, okay. <laughs> she's, she's a pregnant woman. She's like really happy. Da, da, da. My daughter is the Antichrist. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, let's say something nice about your daughter. There's power in your words. <laughs> and we start, we just start uh, ministering to her. And she's like, yeah, you know, my, my daughter, my, uh, I think she has lots of demons and my, my, uh, she's like being really casual about it. She's like, my grandmother is even into, is a professional exorcist or whatever. And says, I shouldn't joke about that. And so <laughs> it's just a bizarre conversation. I'm just like, what? I'm so tired. <laughs> what is going on? Um, <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, we can, we can pray to get those demons out. We do that. We get rid of demons. Um, <laughs> and I mean, John's just like smiling at her, you know, <laughs> I'm like, who are you? Um, and so we, uh, we pray for her. We pray for her little girl. I think Emma was the little girl's name, two years old or whatever. Um, and, uh, and we just start praying and speaking freedom, speaking life, speaking destiny over her. And, um, and, and John's like breaking off any word curses that have been spoken over the family. And, and I get a word of knowledge about, uh, about her, about someone telling this woman that we're praying for us. I feel like someone in your family has told you that you're going to have kids that are like twice as bad as you are or something along those lines. And it's like that exact phrase her mother just had spoken over her her whole life. And um, yeah, you'll have a daughter twice as bad as you are. And, and their family's like really sarcastic and they think it's okay. And John's like, you know, demons don't know what sarcasm is. They, they, you say a word and the demons latch onto it um, and they go right for it. So, um, so that's what's so we're just, uh, so we're just having her renounce that word curse and speak life over her and her, and she's just crying and she's, she's like, I feel like God sent you guys to me, you know? And, and like, we didn't even try. She wasn't, well. Was she? Yeah, I think she was, she was, had some kind of spiritual religious upbringing of some sort. She knows what the Antichrist is. Um, but <laughs> don't know if she knows Jesus, but she knows the Antichrist. Um, so, um, but, uh, but yeah, it was just not even trying. I like, didn't even really feel like reaching out to somebody, but there it was. I'm just like, okay, Jesus, here we are. And we did it. So there you go. So really the point of that testimony to me is that she saw Jesus when he came, when these guys came in and she didn't know what words to put it in, but she knew she needed help. And really that's who we're called to be, light. Yeah. <clears throat> so I, I really want us to, um, Peyton, why don't you come on up with your team? 
I really want us to evaluate what our value system is. Are we, are we joyful people? Are we, are we looking at the faithfulness of God or are we looking at our own ability to achieve the promises of God on our lives? And let's get honest with ourselves because a lot of us have been in a bad mood for a really long time. And we wonder why our, our, our friends and family don't want to be saved. <laughs> They're like, you are, the, you are the grumpiest people we know. <laughs> but it's time that we get happy. Happy, happy, happy. Say it. It makes you happy. Happy, happy, happy. <laughs> All right. You have to say it with a redneck accent. Come on. Happy, happy, happy. <laughs> I'm telling you, God is more able to lead you than you are to follow him.